Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. Here's a quick announcement. Our June Heart-Centered and Passion-Driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones will be live this weekend at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. This month's theme is Happy Graduation and Smiling Our Way Through Summer with a special Father's Day tribute. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Judy Wilkins-Smith. Judy is a world-renowned systemic work and constellation expert, author, motivational speaker, executive coach, and trainer who offers guidance for shifting unconscious inherited patterns and transforming your relationships by working with hidden patterns and unconscious loyalties. As the founder of System Dynamics for Individuals and Organizations, Judy has 18 years of expertise in assisting high-performance individuals, Fortune 500 executives, and legacy families to end limiting cycles and reframe challenges into lasting breakthroughs and peak performance. Judy's Judy's newly released book, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprints, shows us how to uncover emotional DNA patterns, understand their limitations and gifts, embrace them, make new choices, and rewire the brain, allowing us to transform and rise into our best selves. Judy is also the featured expert contributor for the Bubble of Quiet Confidence section of our June Inspirations for Better Living magazine. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her amazing, insightful, and empowering story titled An Unexpected Career Turn. Judy and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and how we can apply her easy-to-understand steps to change and heal our emotional DNA and transform ourselves to live a very successful and refined life. Good morning, Judy. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? I am fine, and it's lovely to be with you. Fantastic. It is really wonderful and a pleasure to have you with me. Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint is totally beautifully written, very inspirational, and more importantly, it truly guides someone to be their best self. So that's fantastic, and congratulations on its release. Oh, thank you so much. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it's it debuts on Tuesday, and of course, it's open for pre-order right now, but it's, it's getting very nice reviews, so I'm, I'm extremely grateful. Fantastic. That's really wonderful. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. And we oh have the goodness, whole hour, you know, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We could use it. Uh, so it's... It's, it's so interesting. As a kid, I grew up in South Africa, also lived in Zimbabwe and Zambia, 
So in very beautiful Africa and in, in settings where I have to say we were very open and free. Uh, you didn't lock doors. You didn't close windows. It really was the village that raised the children. It was beautiful and it was very safe. I was fortunate enough to have a mom and dad where I never felt unsafe. And I've come to realize how much of a gift that is. They were amazing, amazing people. And then great grandparents as well. So I kind of had the whole, if we're looking at it from a from a <laughs> career point of view, I had the C-suite mm-hmm. and they were fully stocked. Aww. So I was very lucky with that. And um, then we moved over to America in 96 for a business opportunity and that's when life became diff- uh, real in a whole different way. My father was killed. Um, he, was, he was the one who was taking care of things and sorting out immigration. So he was killed. I had to take over that piece. And then it was get yourself together quickly. And the worst of all was he was killed in a hospital and they failed him in all the disciplines that I was a specialist in in South Africa. And mm-hmm. it was a door that closed very abruptly. I didn't want to go near a hospital after that of course surprise surprise I have a daughter who's a physician (laughs) but for me it was that was done I didn't want that career anymore and I wanted to support a different kind of growing health I just didn't know what so I started writing uh, books and met with somebody who was already doing the work that I'm doing now And they said, come study the work. And I said, yeah, okay. And they said, then we'll give you help with the book. So I went and studied the work and got zero help with the book. But um, that took me into also working with corporations because they began to say, well, if you can show people how to shift individually, can you also show corporations? Now, systemic work and constellations is unique because what we do is we deep dive into the system. So it's not just about the individual. We have a look at all the contributing parts of the system. And then when we have a look, we set up what we call a constellation, which is a 3D version of your issue, and we work through it. So for me, life changed very much from being a bit of an innocent abroad to, okay, this is the real world, and whoa, how do I deal with this? And I would say for a while it was very overwhelming, And I learned that you really do get to a space and place in your life where it's either fold or fly. Thank goodness I got to fly. That's a beautiful story, extremely beautiful story. Who were the major influences in your life when you were growing up besides your parents? I was going to say definitely mom and dad, definitely Mm -hmm. mom and dad. I had a couple of teachers, one at... Holy Rosary Convent in Port Elizabeth and she was the, she eventually became the mother superior and she was just an amazing graceful lady who taught you about life and, and said amazing things like she would say we're going to celebrate all languages and, and all cultures so if there was somebody who was Jewish or somebody who spoke Greek or whatever it was we got to celebrate those so I think we learned more not less And Mm -hmm. very inclusive. You know, Johnny, when I walked into the classrooms were 60 kids in a class. Mm -hmm. The teacher would walk in and just snap her fingers once and everybody (laughs) was quiet. It wasn't like now where they all scream and shout. It was like, boom, you were there. And they taught you to focus. 
And I think the other thing that, that they taught me was never be afraid to give your children or yourself rules and boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, and the teacher said to me, if you have boundaries, you know where to grow to, and then you know what your next step is. Without boundaries, it gets really messy. And, and just learning things like we don't talk in class or mm-hmm. we do this and we don't do that, it really shaped me to be able to adapt to different systems. And then we had, amazing, we had an amazing Catholic priest who told us being born again is wonderful. But people, mm-hmm. if you do it too many times, you don't ever get out of kindergarten. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. So, That's I true. You're stuck on the first year. <laughs> exactly. And then also being told by teachers. I had a teacher who told me, I said to her, I'm going to be in medicine when I grow up. And she said, no, you won't. Mm-hmm. You're going to write books and make a difference to people. And I went, no, I'm not. Turns out she may have known something I didn't. So amazing teachers. (laughs) That's wonderful. Well, I have a background with the British academic system because I grew up in Malacca, Malaysia, and I came to the United States when I was 18. And so I completely understand the concept of the scholastic discipline as well as the sort of a very soft but yet firm underlying current in the school system, in the classroom. And when you're in a classroom, you're in the zone. You're there to learn exactly. and share. Exactly. So I completely understand that. <laughs> oh, no, I, I loved it. I loved getting stars if you did something mm-hmm. good. They really mm-hmm. incentivized very, very well. Stars if you did something good and a mm-hmm. very stern look that said, I'm severely disappointed that broke your heart if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true, though. It's very, very true. Uh, in my situation, what happened, Judy, is that the fact that I came here at 18, uh, four months after my 18th birthday, I landed in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to go to uh, college at Louisiana State University. And a year later, my father uh, passed away, and that changed the trajectory oh. of my life. And so what happens is that the foundation I felt that I had received in Malaysia from the field of academia, the discipline, the soft touch, so to speak, right? It's uh, right. it really it's that fuel within me to sort of like what I used to tell people. You know, we are hard drives, and we have all these programs already in there. It's like you buy a computer; some of the programs you don't use, and the only reason why you use some of the programs is because situations dictates that you have to download it. <laughs> Or open it up in this case. (laughs) So I completely understand that. And uh, so what life's epiphanies led you to seek the whys and the hows about your very being? Uh, You know, I think from very small, it's the oddest thing, but I can remember this when we were (laughs) learning about blood. Now, and I was going to get into blood as a career. I mean, I did later on, but mm-hmm. there must have been something that I can remember thinking they taught us there were red cells and white cells and sticky cells and all sorts of things in your blood, and, but they were in your blood. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I'm a red cell in God's blood or something. <laughs> and I can remember, even as a kiddo, thinking mm-hmm. there's something bigger about being, but then also realizing that I was 
permanently frustrated with the idea of being small. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think when I realized that there was such a thing, by the way, as emotional DNA, that was one. But when I realized that, A, you weren't going to please anyone, I mean everyone, Mm -hmm. because I looked at all the great prophets who didn't wind up very well in the end, (laughs) because they tried to please everyone, and I, I realized, well, if you can't please everyone, stop trying. Love the ones who love you, and respect the ones who don't. Understand them. So I think mm-hmm. I very early on in life got off needing to be loved and liked by everyone because it just wasn't going to happen. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. How did you discover that there is an emotional DNA you inherited that consciously and subconsciously influenced your thoughts, decisions, and actions? That was when I started doing systemic work in Constellations. What I realized was they, t- they were talking about uh, inherited patterns or unconscious loyalties. And then I began to realize that it wasn't just that. It was, in fact, emotional DNA. You were taking on things like sadness, um, gladness, happiness, uh, even money DNA. I mean, they're all different ones, which we'll get to in a right. minute. But you were inheriting patterns of happiness What is your happiness quotient? What is your sadness quotient? And then holding it as though it was yours. And it became very important to me because I began to understand that it was coming all the way down through the generations to you because you are the one who can change that. So I have um, clients who tell me, you don't understand. I come from a, a culture where we are born to suffer. And I look at them and I go, oh, yeah, I get that. And how much longer do you want to keep that legacy going? Or are you going to be the one who says to your children, there was lots of suffering. Now it's time for joy. We are the ones who were born to bring that forth. Mm -hmm. So true. What's interesting in reading your book, and you talk about multi-generational patterns here, why does it matter so much? They matter a lot because what they are are they're the clues to you be, being able to transform. They're there precisely for that. They're there. They contain all the clues that you could ever need to why you are the way you are and what's being asked of you. What is your purpose and who you can become if you pivot? So these, when we think, you know, they talk about the sins of the father. It's not the sins of the father. It's the love and the potential of the children. All that's happened is those patterns have come all the way down to say to you, hey, here's what's wrong in the system or here's what's out of balance. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to take this forward in a meaningful way? How will you change your pattern of thoughts, feelings, and actions? And Johnny, it's simple. It's not eating Mm -hmm. the whole elephant at once. It's one thought, one feeling, one action at a time. So if I've always been sad, what might happen if I was glad once a week, Mm -hmm. just for an hour? What would happen if for that week, I felt at least that hour, I felt really good inside and I put down all the guilt and the sadness? What would happen if I gave myself a treat, went for a walk, you name it? for that one hour. And if you keep doing that consistently, what you then begin to do 
is rewire your emotional DNA by rewiring your brain, which in turn opens your heart and relaxes your gut. So now you've got this entire brain system of head, heart, gut, and when that's in alignment, you transform. You begin to do very different things. You're no longer repeating as 90% of us do ancient mm-hmm. history. Now you're in the perfect present and you can create the future that you want. Very, very interesting. That's true. Looking back, how did growing up in South Africa and Africa contributes to your view and mindset of you as an individual? Well, you know, there's a beautiful thing that I carry very much in my heart from Africa. And anybody who is listening who is from Africa will, will, will know this word. And it's called Ubuntu. And Ubuntu has so many, many connotations and being, but it basically means I, I am, um, it means mankind. It is an incredible African word. Um, and it means connecting to the soul, connecting to the heart of the people. It's, gosh, I'm trying to think of the, the best explanation for it. It's, it's such a, we, we are, we are is probably the piece that describes it best. Our hearts, we are, we are people, we are people together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That's amazing. That's really wonderful. By the way, you're looking to prom- yeah, Sorry. Mm-hmm. It, go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry. Go ahead. It translates, it translates mm-hmm. as I am because we are. And mm-hmm. I think I learned that very mm-hmm. much. I, you know, in South Africa growing up again, I mean, it's not like this anymore, unfortunately. But growing up, there was a lot of singing. There was a lot of happiness. There was a lot of interconnection. Yes, there were things that weren't good, but they were changing but it, it is very much I am because we are. We are more when we are together. We are more when we are the sum of our parts and pulling for something purposeful. There's a sense of the community concept, whether it's formal or informal, but we are family, basically. We are family is exactly right. You know, um, again, growing up and with my own children, if my children went to someone else's home and they mm-hmm. didn't behave, they were disciplined there. Right. They didn't wait to come back to us. If, if their children came to me and they didn't behave, they were disciplined there. There was never the sort of, these are my children, don't touch. It was, these yeah, are our yeah. children, let's raise. Right, right. Well, what happens is that I'm familiar with that in Malaysia in the sense that there's a certain etiquette, I guess. Let me put it this way. It will be the best way. So if somebody is out, and first, of course, you just don't outright discipline in the sense you have to look at the situation. Does the child know what's, uh, that's wrong, <laughs> so to speak? Absolutely. And, and uh, then there's certain protocols, there's certain etiquette. So it, everybody is a teacher, everybody is a coach, everybody is a counselor for that child. Because the goal exactly. is to and raise. And this is something that we, yes. This is something that we lose when we say, only I am the parent. We've lost that connection and trust with each other that translates to our children, and it's so important. Right. And again, in all fairness, there is a very fine line also because you do have issues where they're teachers and they're teachers. 
And so you do have exploitations and so forth. And for that matter, neighbors, family and so forth and all that. But somehow when I was growing up, and I'm sure when you were growing up, that is on the minute side of the equation because everybody has that consensus of we are together uh, in raising the next generations of leaders and so forth. Because I remember going home and telling my mom about Da 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 about the teacher, she cites with the teacher. <laughs> of course, ours was the same. You didn't dare get into trouble at school. If you got into trouble at school, round two was going to happen at home. That's correct. That's correct. So it's it's a little bit different. But having said that, like I say again, situation change, and so I think one has to look at it from a situational basis. And in all fairness, so I think, I think that's yeah. important. But the idea is it's that let's not go on. That's correct. That's correct. And it's not to go yeah. off, way off to the right or way off to the left because uh, the idea is to make an informed decision. Whether you're a parent or a child, that's the key. You know, I think also something that I, I've learned a lot mm-hmm. is that if we can genuinely just remove the emotion, mm-hmm. the objective, and look at what outcome we're trying to achieve, That goes such a long way to everybody cooperating. Then none of us feel judged or or victimized. We can find a solution together. Definitely, definitely. As a C-suite person, a former C-suite person, and all this will be from a mindset for me, I'm solution-oriented. And so I believe in leading people, managing situations. So it doesn't matter to me who did what. Because people and react that's so to the possibility. Yes, so it's, it's a little so bit wise. different. And that's just, yeah, so it's, it's incredibly wise to go that route for me. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. I would say is if I'm working with C-suite, I would go, um, let's just have a look at what we do here. I'm very solution focused. Mm-hmm. At the end of that, I would say to everybody, if you want to come speak to me, you're welcome because I am curious mm-hmm. to know what led you to make that decision. But I, I only want to do it one-on-one because not to, not to shame and not to blame. There are mm-hmm. things in our backgrounds that we're not aware of, and mm-hmm. there are clues. So if you've done something, let's have a look and see how can we reframe it. How was it good? Where could it be better? It's never to shame and blame. That's correct. Definitely. Definitely. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast, available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Teachers Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to our heart-centered and passion-driven Inspiration for Better Living digital magazine at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. This month's theme is Happy Graduation and Smiling Our Way Through Summer with a special Father's Day tribute. My guest for this morning is Judy Wilkins-Smith. Judy is a world-renowned systemic work and constellation expert, author, motivational speaker, executive coach, and trainer who offers guidance for shifting unconscious inherited patterns and transforming your relationships by working with hidden patterns and unconscious loyalties. As the founder of System Dynamics for individuals and organizations, Judy has 18 years of experience in assisting high-performance individuals 
Fortune 500 executives and legacy families to end limiting cycles and reframe challenges into lasting breakthroughs and peak performance. Judy is also the featured expert contributor for the Bubble of Quiet Confidence section of our June's Inspiration for Better Living magazine. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her amazing, insightful, and empowering stories titled We're Having a Conversation About Her Remarkable Life's Journey and her newly released book, Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint, shows us how to uncover emotional DNA patterns, understand the limitations and gifts, embrace them, make new choices, and rewire the brain, allowing us to transform and rise to our best self. Judy, why did you decide to write Decoding Your Emotional Blueprint? <laughs> That's an easy one. I got tired of being <laughs> nagged to write it. <laughs> I teach this all around the world, and I have mm-hmm. um, events like the one that I have at Disney in November, where people actually come and do systemic work and constellations and emotional DNA with me. And they mm-hmm. kept saying, we need a book, we need a book, we need a book, we need a book. And eventually I went, okay, I will write a little ebook. Mm-hmm. You can use it and we're done. Well, the little ebook took on a life of its own. Um, next thing I knew, I had a literary agent because the person I'd been working with said, you need one. And I said, no, I don't. And she said, you need one. So up showed this wonderful literary agent. She went, she shopped it around and she came back and she said, okay, they're going to pay you in advance to write the book. And I went, oh dear, stuff just got real. (laughs) And I had to write the book. But I also wrote it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also very much wrote it because I was tired of people thinking that transformation was incredibly hard work where you had to dedicate seven hours a day, squint your eyes, and you had to be some remarkable being to get anywhere where I could see and I knew that it was not difficult at all and that if you simply had the tools in your hand, Mm -hmm. you could do it. And that was the aim of this, was to make transformation and systemic work in constellations readily available to everybody so that they could walk through the book and have a very different life by the time they'd finished. Very, very interesting. Now, I know you mentioned this before, that what really systemic work and constellations are all about is about individualism and then the, your surrounding. Can you give us a greater explanation of that system? Sure. So systemic work, let's have a look at systemic work. It's the study of you within a system. When mm-hmm. I do this work at events, it's generally, we are often looking at either your career or you, the individual, uh, personally. So it's personal and professional. Now, in your personal system, that would be your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your aunts, some of your aunts and uncles, depending on how influential, your grandparents, and then anyone or anything that had a significant impact on you or your family system. So that is a family system. An organizational system is your C-suite. It's your everything from there on down, the CEO, the board members, your customers, your products. That is an organizational system. And then a constellation is this 3D approach where, as I said, if we're exploring an issue, we identify all the, the elements or parts of that issue, and then we set them up in a room in 3D. 
So now instead of you having to try and work it all out in your head, you can literally see, feel, hear, touch, walk through what's happening. And because you can do that, you're having thoughts, feelings, and actions, and you're able to integrate them into insights that you otherwise would not have had. Fascinating. That's beautiful. How, did, how do we discover our emotional blueprint? Okay, so here's, when you're looking for your emotional DNA and your emotional blueprint, there are so many areas that it operates in. But what you want to do is find out where is the area where you feel either the greatest frustration, limitation, sadness, madness, any of those heightened emotions, or the deepest desires and ambitions and elevated feelings like hope and excitement. Because those are the two areas that contain your emotional, uh, your emotional DNA. The emotional blueprint often comes through with the limiting ones, but also, also, and equally, I will say, with strength. It's what did you inherit from those before you. But if you're finding that you're really frustrated, angry, sad, mad, have a look at what that is. When do you get like that? What's happening? When did it first start for you? What was happening in your life at the time? Is someone else in your family similar? Did they have similar things that happened for them? So, for example, I have someone who comes to me and says, you know, I'm in love with this beautiful person. I want to marry him, but I can't because all the men in our family disappear. So I said, well, tell me what you mean by that. Well, my mom uh, divorced one man and lost one. My grandmother divorced one man and lost one. My great-grandmother married a man. He was the love of her life. He died. She tried again. didn't work. They got divorced. So I said to her, so obviously you, you can see there's a pattern, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the women are loyal to the original event. When great-grandmother lost great-grandfather, he's the original man we lost. And when she couldn't have trust for a relationship after that, that echoes down through her words, her feelings, her actions. And all of her daughters or or children pick that up. And now they have similar feelings, thoughts, and actions and not trust for relationship. And so what I did with her was I said, can you see? This is asking to become something different for you. When you look at your great-grandmother, you can acknowledge what happened. And you can tell her, I see you, and I see my missing grandfather, and I have space for both of you in my heart, but I cannot have that pattern in my relationship. Watch me when I do it differently, and when I can look with the eyes of trust, and I can look at building one that will stay. And as we begin to rewire those thoughts, she's now no longer caught in the idea of the inevitable. Now she can change it into something new. Very, very interesting. Fascinating. Is there scientific evidence behind the systemic work and constellation approach? There's a lot of study behind this, yes. So neuroscientifically, what we know is that even if this is echoed down through the generations, your brain is neuroplastic. The minute you wire in, and I know this sounds crazy, The minute you wire in one new thought, one new feeling, one new action, and when I I say wire in, I mean 
you believe it. In other words, it becomes a reality or a, or a determination for you. The minute you do that, everything begins to change. So scientifically, neuroscientifically, we know you are able to do this. And, and I always say to people, you're doing it all the time. You don't watch horror movies, but you tell yourself horror stories about yourself all day long, <laughs> and then you believe them. So it's that same intensity of emotion. The minute you do one different thought, feeling, action, you're on a completely different path. Now you cannot have the inevitable future. It's going to change. So that is neuroscience. Epigenetically, we know they studied that there are many studies, but three in particular. The, the Great Dutch Hunger Winter, that was where an entire Dutch city was encircled by the Germans. They were cut off from the rest of the world, and for three months they had no water and no food. They existed on uh, water that was around. They ate bulbs, they ate rats, they ate whatever they needed to. And this created patterns in pregnant mothers at different stages of either malnutrition or obesity or eating problems in their children, but even more surprisingly, in their children's children and in their children's children's children. So this was where we began to realize there was this emotional impact that was creating an epigenetic imprint. So epigenetics is strong in this area. Then we see something similar with the Holocaust, where you have descendants from the Holocaust still depressed, still afraid, still perpetuating a whole lot of those patterns because they have hidden loyalties and because the imprint was so significant that it, it activates those same genes in the descendants. And now we have 9-11 where mothers who were carrying children and lost the spouse and had PTSD, they're now demonstrating those same PTSD markers in the cells of the children. Very, very interesting. And you might be carrying all this, and it's dormant, but what happens is that situations will trigger those things exactly to come forward. Exactly right. Exactly mm -hmm. right. And they're there to trigger for a reason. I always say to people, be aware. Your triggers can either be for trauma or triumph, and it's going to be your choosing. Right. Which one are you going to allow it to be? So true. I mean, either you rise up for the occasion or you just basically plummeted under the pressure of the situation. That's it. And you see it very clearly. You see um, two people who have a, a car accident, both paralyzed from the waist down. One says, that's the end of my life, and, they, and that's it. The other one says, I have purpose. Watch mm -hmm. me. Right. And Choices. Precisely. And then you rewire your neural pathway to get it accomplished. Exactly. Exactly. And here's the deal with that. People think that it takes years and years. It can. If you do systemic work in constellations, people tell me every single day, I cannot understand how I've been working at this issue for 20 years and we've just done something that shifted it completely in two mm -hmm. hours. It's because yeah. you're using a multi-sensorial, multi-level approach that is highly experiential so that the, the experience you're having 
becomes embodied and immediately begins to lay down a new neural pathway. That's right. So true. How many types of emotional DNAs are there that we inherit Lots. from our ancestors? <laughs> Lots. So I'll tell you the ones that I teach. I yes. teach uh, emotional DNA, relationship DNA, um, success DNA, fear DNA, purpose DNA, very important one coming up, money DNA. You mm. inherit your money DNA and it determines how rich and wealthy, how successful you will or won't, can or can't be based on your emotional DNA or your mm. money DNA. You also mm. have leadership DNA. You have happiness DNA. There are mm. all sorts of DNAs that you inherit. Very, very interesting. That's the beauty of it. I think it's just understanding what these are. It's like a, a buffet line and then you start picking up, oh, that affects me, this, and how do, is my perception of this and so forth. But the and next question And how can I use it? That's right. And so the next question, interestingly enough, because usually when we talk about DNAs, we talk about lineage, right? So interestingly right. enough, I am actually adopted. So what about someone who is adopted? Huh. My daughter is also adopted. Mm-hmm. You, you are the ones who are twice as lucky. <laughs> you, you inherited your emotional DNA from your bio parent, mm-hmm. and you also get strong input from your adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. So, so you have both. But if you don't know who your bio parents are, it's, people say to me, then what? It's easy. Mm-hmm. Look at the places you differ from your adoptive parents and also look at the very strong thoughts, feelings, and actions that you have and the events that you have that are oh so different because they came from somewhere. And if they didn't come from your adoptive parents, they came from your bio parents. Very often, people don't, they, they may not be adopted, but they don't have all that information. And I, I will work with them and they then say, go and see what you can find out. And they come back and they go, oh, my goodness, it's exactly on target. <laughs> so you've got it encoded and riding with you whether you wanted it or not. I agree with that. I, you know, in reading your book, this is what I gathered, Judy. It's, it's amazing because we, we read something and then we reflect, right? to see how that applies in our lives. So going back, and when I was looking at, like you mentioned, say leadership emotional DNA, right? Leadership DNA. I've noticed that my mom and my dad has always been the sort of a take charge. But the beauty of it is this. There's several kinds of leadership. The one that, hey, get out of my way, get out of my way. I'm like the man, (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, there are people that are beautifully, it's like that the director that wins the Academy Award, where is he at? He's behind the curtain. But he's actually the one that produced the entire award-winning program or the entire award-winning movie, including the best actor and best actresses. But people don't realize that, right? And my parents are like that. Mm Mm-hmm. But you get a third one, and the third one is when I'm working with leaders, the third mm-hmm. one is the one that I really also look for. Because you get the charge one that you were talking about, the driven one. 
who drives mm-hmm. everything and drives everything. Right, That's what right. we call in, in seven levels of leadership. That is, that is a level three leadership. Now, mm-hmm. when I work with people like that, I then know at that level, they've got a level of expertise, right. which is great. You're going to cap out on that. It's not useful if you continue to do. If you can't evolve to being, the ones below you can't do and also rise. So right. a, a level four, five, six, seven leader is the one who inspires. Now I get them to take all of their, their drive, and instead mm-hmm. of driving, I get them to, to absolutely plug it in into inspiring. And when right. they flip that switch, it uncaps mm-hmm. everything. And then you want them to be front and center, but you want them to showcase their people as much as they showcase themselves. But they've then also got to continually keep learning because if they don't, their team can't evolve. So mm-hmm. I, I have no problems with a leader being front and center, <laughs> provided his other people are also front and center because then we know if he walked out tomorrow, the next person can take over and the next person can take over. He hasn't just grown a company, he's grown people. Definitely. And that's the concept that I have used over the years. The, we lead people and manage a situation and also taking away the concept of, well, he works for me or she works for me versus he works with me, I work with him. But people exactly. know how many stripes you got on your jacket. <laughs> you don't they have do. to flaunt they do, it. And yeah, no, they really do. But the difference is, and this is what I always say to leaders, mm-hmm. They know how many stripes you've got on your jacket. They also know what those stripes mean. Those Precisely. stripes can either mean do as I say, or those stripes can say, I'm here. Come look at what I did so you can mm-hmm. do it too. Precisely. Precisely. So true. So how can you share with us, can you share with us some of the methods we can use to identify the deep-rooted issues related to our ancestors that influence us? I know you mentioned a few, but are there specific things, that easy things that we can kind of like take a quick 15 minutes and just jot down that, huh, these are the things that really influenced me and I didn't even realize that? Absolutely. So what I want people to do then is take an area, relationships, money, any of those. Let's, let's take money. What I want them to then do is sit and write down, how do I feel about money? What do I think about money? Where did those feelings first start? What was happening for me at the time? Who else in the family thinks this way? And then, what if it isn't true? And what chapter would I like to, to add? So, for example, in my family, everybody struggles with money. We all struggle with money. We've always struggled with money. It comes, it goes, it comes, it goes. Where did that start for you? What was happening for you at the time? What did you make it mean about you? What did you make it mean about others? Now, the pattern in your family is it comes, it goes, and you struggle. What if you were to become a wise steward of money and understand it, and instead of it coming and going, it came and I build. It comes and I build. It comes and I build. Now you're giving yourself a very different game to play. And in fact, looking at money, when I was five, my dad gave me four envelopes. He sat me down and he said, here are four envelopes. Here's your pocket money for the month. 
Um, some is for this, some is for clothes, some is for spending, some are for gifts, and some are for, for vacations. And you never borrow from the one for the other. And then he said to me, and if you do that, you will be able to do the things you need to. I still use envelopes. <laughs> I still use envelopes. Because if there's something that I want to do, I know to put that in there. And it becomes like a game. It's like mm-hmm. I want to go and do something and I go and look at the envelope and I go, yes, I do this. <laughs> so, so for me, money was, it, it evolved from being a commodity. And I have a very deep story about that, which you'll read in the book. But it mm-hmm. became a very dear friend. And I discovered it is not a commodity. It is a relationship. And it is a force no different than money, at least than love or kindness. It depends on what you do with it. So true. So true. Is it difficult to disentangle ourselves from all these issues? No, it isn't difficult. But it depends on how clear you are that you want something to change. If you would like something to change, you may have some success. I always say the people who change the quickest are the ones who run out of excuses for the way things are. When they say, I'm tired of this, I don't want to do this anymore, I have to do something differently, I'm not going to put up barriers or excuses, it becomes very easy, and I'll tell you the ease of it. All that you've got to do is look at your heart's desire. Because in this work, we know there are, there are two very important things. There is a pattern. There are two patterns. One that is always trying to stop and one that is always trying to start. The one that's trying to stop is the one that outlived its usefulness in the family. The one that's trying to start is your purpose, your legacy, and the chapter that only you can write. Now, If you can then look at, this has to stop for me, and then you look at what wants to start for me, and you invest in that with with the emotions of gratitude, excitement, investment, commitment, all out, you will get there. Because what happens is the minute that you look look at it that way and you invest enough, it pulls you past all of the old excuses, all of the old limitations, all of the old patterns, and now you're beginning to angle and create something very new. It is not difficult. And like I say, if you, if you are at an event I'm attending, those changes happen very quickly. Very true, very true. Well, somewhere along the line, in reading your book, you have to take ownership of yourself. I think that's the Always. critical moment. And not... And get away from the blame game. Well, my parents did this, or my so-and-so, or this, or that. Let me put it this way. They did the best they can. And when was the last time you were, well, for lack of a better term here, under their roof or in the proximity? And then you find that, oh, it's been about 10 years, 15 years. Like, okay, uh, <laughs> when is Johnny going to yeah. show up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, what you've just touched on is very important. People say to me all the time, oh, so it's my mom's fault. And I go, yeah, no, not so fast. Your mom may have done this, but what you do with it is your responsibility. And here's the other amazing thing. Mm -hmm. Your mother and your father are exactly the way that they are. 
and they're perfect exactly the way that they mm-hmm. are. Because mm-hmm. without them exactly the way that they are, you didn't get your life's adventure exactly the way that it is. Mm-hmm. It was created very beautifully for you. So quit whining, start shining. <laughs> I love it. Wonderful. How difficult it is to maintain our new me. You know what? The minute you get your first win, here's what I say to people. Build in the wins. And what that means is start noticing when you do things right. Not the way we've been programmed to notice when you do things wrong. When you do things right, really uh, notice it and acknowledge yourself. And then ask yourself, so what is my ultimate outcome that I want here? And keep going. If you invest in that, it's too exciting to go back to the other. And when you do go back to the other, you'll find that it's, it's a little bit like a bounce in a stock. You're going to hit the bottom and shoot up again because you know better. That's true. Very, very true. What advice do you have for someone who is on the fence line, though? Like, they're just thinking, well, yeah, that all sounds great, but there's always that but. <laughs> of course there's a but, because but keeps you comfortable. Get your butt out of the but. Um, what I would say to people on the fence is, here's the deal. You can have a nice life, an average life, a decent life, or you can have a spectacular life, and I'm not kidding. When you mm-hmm. start to invest in, in your adventure, you will realize that it was, in any case, never just about you. Because the minute you have that adventure, you are changing your family system forever or your organizational system. And once you start to get those wins, there's no way you'll go back to the other. It becomes a little like trying to bite into an, a, a wax apple. It's very unappetizing. <laughs> very, very interesting. So true. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you, your services and workshops, and keep up with your latest happenings? Uh, yeah, great. So to buy my book, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, any of those good bookstores, they can also go to my website, judywilkins-smith.com, and there's more there. I designed two world-first constellations meditations, the meditation of the father and the meditation of the mother. And what it does is it takes you all the way into the lineage of your parents. It talks about that emotional DNA. It takes you through an exercise with that, and it brings you back very, very differently and then in terms of what am I doing next I have a live event in Dallas in August August 5th through 7th and then I have a four-day event at Disney World and that is my my big flagship event this year I'm teaching capability and resilience DNA where to find it where it exists how to wire it in and so we take four days where we play no, work, sorry, from 8 until 4, <laughs> do very deep dives. But we play in the evening from 5 until 9 at the park. Because if you look at Walt Disney, he's the person who everybody said you can't do it, it's impossible, who built what we now have. That's what happens when you invest in yourself and your purpose. 
it's not that he was a spectacular being from ring three in outer Saturn. He simply chose to start living a full and proper life. He decided that there was way more to it than just doing life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we, we show people what that looks like there. But people who come to the, the Disney events that I do walk away and they say they are never, ever the same again. They, they now know what their entanglements are. They know what the strengthening patterns are, and they are rewiring. Fantastic. That's fabulous. What advice do you have for people that will be picking up your book next week and in terms of how they should proceed in reading and applying the information? Okay, so here's what I would say. The way to get the most out of this, I know because I'm one of those people, I pick up a book and go, yeah, yeah. So the skeptic <laughs> comes up and I've got to have a talk to the skeptic and say, could you please sit down? I need to read the book first. <laughs> so I would say, put down any of the resistances that you have and allow yourself simply for the duration of the book to believe that something different is possible. And I'm telling you, by the end of the book, you're going to discover what a remarkable life you are if only you know how to see it. I would suggest that you learn to really invest in investigating your emotions and then migrating to higher emotions and teaching yourself that. But when you read this book, really allow yourself to know that there is another very different life than the one you are living right now. This is not woo-woo. This is the most, people tell me, you, they always say to me, oh my goodness, you're the most logical, transformative person I've ever met. Mm -hmm. For me, if you can't apply it, it's useless. So mm -hmm. it's got to be logical. It's got to be understandable. It's got to be achievable. And it's got to be believable. And that's how I designed the book. Pick it up. Read it, apply it. If you need to speak to me, my information is there. <laughs> Reach out. I am happy to answer questions. But take this book and write the date down that you picked it up and give yourself three months and have a look at who you are now. So true. Well, the book is loaded with information. It's an easy read in the sense that what I look in the book is the fact that it is a page turner. It sort of lead me to, I got to go to the next page to read. <laughs> so it, 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 it drives my curiosity. I'm a person of uh, a curious person, um, you know, and, and I talk about that. Let curiosity lead your way. And the book does. The, it's very well organized, there's tons of information, and it's written beautifully. And the most important thing is that it's an easy apply. It's sort of triggered things that you don't normally think about. We take things for granted. I think that's the most important thing. I think the, the, the beauty of it is that sometimes we need to have a wonderful, friendly reminder. And most important thing, regardless of where you are in your life's journey, it's never too late or too soon to get started? I think that's super important. You're exactly right. 
Today is a good day. <laughs> Fantastic. By the way, as we are coming close to the end of the hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? I would love to share a recipe for living. Be grateful. Seriously, seriously be grateful. Take yourself on a gratitude walk every single morning. It will change things for you. Be grateful. Don't allow silly things to get in your way. And in fact, if they do, if you're noticing things getting in your way, what you want to do is pay attention. They're giving you a clue. Find the clue. Decode the clue. Go back to the book. Find the clue. Decode the clue. And use it to become wiser and smarter. And when people, the one big recipe, when people give you a compliment, look them in the eye, listen to what they're saying. They're speaking to your heart. It's not that you get things right. They're trying to tell you what you, uh, that you get things wrong, sorry. It's that they're telling you what you get right. Pay attention. Compliments are also a guide to your universe. And live as happily and loudly as you can. You were never, ever meant to be small. Don't pretend you are. Very, very true. So true. Judy, thank you for the wonderful and beautiful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Wednesday morning June 8th at 10 a.m. Central Time, U.S. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Your 10 Keys to Happiness, 101 real-life stories that will show you how to improve your life. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Judy, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a very blessed day. And thank you so much. What a lovely hour. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.